0: Today's Bible reading will be from Acts 16, 6 to 40, and it's 898 on the Church Bible if you're using that. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and hugging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Semontres, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyrantia named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond on Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way in he to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hopes of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the market, place to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in this house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his households were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas release. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without the trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now they do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers report this to the magistrates, when when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave this city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of God.
1: Um, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on Acts. Well, our universe is uh, filled with diversity. There are 300 billion stars in the Milky Way, 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Yet no two stars or galaxies are exactly the same. But God made them all, and he knows them by name. Our own little world is very diverse as well. There are 8.7 million species in the natural world, and it would take more than 1,000 years to catalogue all of them. There are almost 400,000 species, 400, species of plants. And in 2015 alone, two, over 2,000 new plant species were found. Yet, even within each species, we find great diversity as well. No two monkeys or two roses are ever the same, but God knows, uh, God made them all. Uh, there might be almost 8 billion people alive today, but it's estimated that over 100 billion people have ever lived. Yet no two human beings are ever the same. Even identical twins might have almost identical DNA and upbringing, yet they're very different people with their own personality. God made them all and he knows them by name. Even when it comes to snowflakes, there are never two that are exactly the same, yet millions of snowflakes fall from the sky every year. Everywhere we look, we see that God's made a world that's very diverse, and I don't think it's only because he can, but because he loves diversity. And the wonderful thing is that he doesn't just want diversity out there in the world, he wants diversity in here, in his church. And that's what we see in today's passage. A couple of weeks ago, we read about Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, His uh, first missionary journey is recorded for us in Acts chapter 13 to 14. Uh, He went to Cyprus and Pamphylia and Galatia in Asia Minor. And the focus was on Paul's public preaching in the synagogues and town centres, where we learnt about the focus of his preaching was the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in today's passage, around 50 to 52 AD, uh, Paul begins his second missionary journey. And so uh, it goes uh, from chapter... Uh, 16 to 18 uh, records for us his second missionary journey. And we see that he takes the gospel to Philippi, uh, a city in modern-day Greece. Uh, He takes the gospel to Europe. And the focus is not so much on Paul's public preaching and what he preached and said, so much as it is about three conversion stories, three individuals who become Christians through his ministry, And so we zoom in and get to know three characters. Now, the three people who are converted aren't mentioned because they're particularly special. They're mentioned and they're shown to us because Paul is helping us to see, or Luke, the author, is helping us to see that God is saving a diverse people for himself. You see, the gospel isn't just for Jews, it's also for Gentiles. It's not just for men, it's also for women and children. It isn't just for the rich and famous, it's also for the broken and the poor. Whatever barriers society might put up to drive us apart, whether you're a supporter of Monique Ryan or or Josh Frydenberg, the gospel will break down those barriers and draw us together in Christ. Uh, whatever stereotypes society might uh, uh, wedge between us because of what we believe or think or say, the gospel will break down those stereotypes to draw us together in Christ. Whatever differences we might have with one another, the gospel will break down those differences and draw us together in Christ. Now Paul didn't actually plan to go to Europe to take the gospel there. The decision wasn't the result of human ingenuity, but the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as in Acts chapter 10, you might remember, Jesus was the one who sent the apostle Peter to Cornelius, to the Gentiles. And so here in Acts chapter 16, it is Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who then sends the apostle Paul to Europe. Uh, he does this by first closing a number of doors. Uh, verse 6, Paul and his companions travel throughout the region of Pergia uh, and Galatia and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So so Paul wanted to continue to preach to, to the regions of Asia. But the clo- the doors were closed on him. He just couldn't do it. He was stopped. A- and he ends up getting a vision. While we're in Troas, in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, that is, in modern-day Greece, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Paul's strategy was to stay in Asia Minor and preach the gospel there. But God had other plans. God was still committed to Asia Minor, and we see that in Acts chapter 18, where the gospel continues to go out in that region. But for now, God's priority for Paul, God's priority for the gospel was for it to be taken to Europe, into Macedonia, to modern-day Greece. So verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we, now notice that, notice the language of we. The author Luke is now including himself in the narrative because he is there, he is present, he is part of the missionary team of Paul. We, Luke, Paul, Silas, Timothy, got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Paul was around today and the gospel needed to go out in Australia. Uh, He'd go to cities like Melbourne and Sydney, uh, Brisbane and Perth. He'd go to the major metropolitan cities of the country to evangelise, to plant churches. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, you, You go to the city where there's the most people with the most influence with the biggest impact. And if you are able to bring the city to their knees before the Lord Jesus, then the word of God can spread from those cities to the rest of the country. And that's exactly what Paul does. He goes to Macedonia, to modern day Greece, and he goes to one of the leading cities called Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony, a major multicultural city, one of the major commercial trade routes of that time. It was a metropolitan city, there was lots going on, but it was densely populated as a Roman city. Uh, by Greeks and by Romans, Uh, and it's interesting because the passage uh, uh, tells us essentially that there weren't actually many Jews there. Uh, You see, as Christians, we know that if two or three men or women come together in the name of Jesus, there is the church, two or three. That's all it takes for the church to come together. But back then, for a synagogue, for the gathering of God's people, the Jews, to form a synagogue, you needed ten men. And here we see that there was no synagogue. In the city of Philippi, in this great Roman colony, there was no synagogue because there were very few Jews. And so we see that whenever Paul, as we've seen over the past weeks, when he goes to a new city, he always goes to the synagogue first. For the gospel belongs to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But here he doesn't do that because there's no synagogue. Instead, he goes to the place of prayer outside the city gates. And when he goes out there, what he finds is a bunch of women. A bunch of women coming together, praying, and probably doing a Bible study, looking at an Old Testament passage. And as they discuss and pray, uh, discuss what uh, the passage says and pray what they believe, Paul joins in on their study and he speaks to them in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, in this Bible study group, uh, there's a woman called Lydia. Now, Lydia's from Thyatira, uh, which is in Asia Minor. Uh, so she's not a native of Philippi. She's not a Greek. She's an immigrant. An Asian immigrant to this great city, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now, Lydia isn't a nobody, she's a somebody. She's a dealer of purple cloth, which means that she was producing a fabric fit for Caesar. She was the Louis Vuitton of the first century the CEO of her company, an intelligent businesswoman, and no doubt a wealthy woman at that. But she wasn't just wealthy. Do you notice that she was also a worshipper of God? She believed and behaved like a Jew, even though she wasn't one. But when she listened to Paul preach, her mind was engaged and her heart responded and believed. And the reason given might surprise some of us. She believed the gospel not because Paul was persuasive, that's not what we're told, though I'm sure he was. We, uh, it's not because Paul was engaging and funny and interesting, though I'm sure he was as well. Have a look at verse 14. Why did she come to believe in the gospel? Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, it was Jesus who opened her heart to respond. Just as Jesus directed Paul to preach the gospel in Philippi, so it's Jesus who opens Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. Jesus is the one who directs and the one who saves. And he saves through Paul's preaching. Uh, This is always the case. When we share the gospel with someone, some people believe because Jesus opens their heart, while others don't believe, no matter how loving and uh, uh, caring we've been, no matter how persuasive or logical our arguments have been, because at the end of the day, we're simply the messenger like the Apostle Paul. And Jesus is the Savior, the one who can open hearts so that they might believe in the gospel. And, and so as a result of verse 15, Lydia is baptized along with her whole household. And so here we have the salvation of a rich Asian immigrant. But just as Jesus saved Lydia, he also saves a slave girl, a Greek slave, Verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners for fortune telling. Now, this girl stands in absolute contrast to Lydia. Lydia had control of a uh, huge textile empire and had the power and authority to direct and instruct her employees to do this and do that. Yet the slave girl. She had nothing in her control. She owned nothing. She didn't even own herself. She had no possessions, no rights, no liberty, for she was a slave, a slave to her masters. She was exploited by her owners and did what they wanted, and that was fortune-telling. Now, she was uh, quite good at this. She earned her owners a lot of money, but she was also a bit of a nuisance. Verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept herself for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Lydia, the rich Asian immigrant, was always composed, always in control. But this girl is... Flippant and out of control. Where Lydia was a God-fearer, this slave girl was trying to associate Jesus with the occult, because as she followed Paul and Silas, she she called out that this is that they're servants of the Most High God. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Like oh, it sounds like that she's telling people to believe in Jesus, but in fact, the phrase is actually used for different gods. So for the Jews, the Most High God is it, it refers to Yahweh. But for Greeks, it referred to Zeus. And so Paul steps in because the spirit in her wasn't from God, but from the evil one. And the solution, how would this slave girl, this girl possessed by a spirit who can do fortune-telling, how would this girl hear the gospel and be saved? Well, Paul doesn't encourage her to go out and, and, and join Lydia's Bible study. Paul doesn't tell her to do some meditation and to run some seminars to help her. No. She wasn't a seeker like Lydia was. Lydia needed to be engaged intellectually, but this slave girl needed to be engaged spiritually. She was demon-possessed. She needed to be freed. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, she is healed and saved. Where Lydia is saved privately in a small gathering through the preaching of God's word. The slave girl is saved publicly in the markets in the name of Jesus Christ. Both women, very different, but both saved by Jesus through the apostle Paul. And so what happens? Well, since the slave girl was now free from demon possession and could no longer do the fortune telling that was earning her owners a lot of money, they seize Paul and Silas and throw them into prison. Now, about midnight, Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns to God. Suddenly, there's a violent earthquake. All the prison doors fly open. Their chains fall off their hands, which tells us that this wasn't an ordinary natural disaster, but the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The jailer wakes up, sees the prison doors open, assumes the worst, assumes if the prison doors are open, the prisoners are going to run for their lives. And so, he decides to kill himself. And the reason why he wants to kill himself is because it's either his head or their head. His job was to make sure that they were in prison. And if he fails at his job, then he will receive the punishment that was reserved for them. But then Paul shouts out in verse 28, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Now, the jailer is probably a veteran or a a retired soldier. A big burly guy who's had enough of war. But he doesn't mind torturing a prisoner or two every now and then. He, he's now got a standard job doing shift work. He's, he fulfills his duties when he gets um, uh, home. He gets to relax. He doesn't have the worries of business like Lydia. He doesn't have to attend to a master like the slave girl. He's your typical middle class bloke, not super rich, not dirt poor. And at the same time, he doesn't have the intellectual burden of Lydia to seek the truth, nor does he have the, the spiritual encounter and the spiritual problems that the slave girl has. But when Paul calls him out, the jailer turns, uh, the t- jailer's world turns upside down. Because he encounters Paul in the most unexpected way. The jailer calls for the lights, rushes in, sees Paul and Silas, and asks them in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, Paul engaged Lydia intellectually the slave girl spiritually, but the jailer through his godliness. The jailer heard of Paul's power when exercising the slave girl in the name of Jesus. The jailer heard Paul and Silas joyfully sing the praises of Jesus while being chained up and locked in prison. Uh, The jailer has seen Paul keep himself in prison, even when the doors are wide open and the chains chains have fallen off him. But instead of running, Paul has chosen to stay. Instead of saving his own life, Paul has chosen to save the life of the jailer. And so Paul tells the jailer, who's been cut to the heart by the godliness of Paul and Silas, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. It was Jesus who opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. It was in the name of Jesus, that the slave girl was healed and saved. And it was Jesus who orchestrated the earthquake so that the jailer will see the godliness of Paul and Silas and be saved. And so like Lydia's household, the jailer's whole household are baptized. Who would have thought that Paul's church planting team would consist of a rich businesswoman, a former demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer? They couldn't be more different. An Asian immigrant, a native Greek, and a Roman soldier. Yet all three were saved by the very same gospel and welcomed into the very same church. Just as Jesus directed Paul to Philippi, Jesus used Paul to save a diverse group of people for himself. It just goes to show the universal appeal of the gospel uh, that, that it could reach such a diverse people group, the intellectual, the spiritual, the carefree, and the universal effect of the gospel that it could bind and, and bring them together, together in, the, in, the, in God's family. And, and that's why we have it here, CSAC, isn't it? People from all sorts of backgrounds saved by the same gospel, welcomed into the church family. When we look at the world around us, we see its diversity, and we love diversity, just as God loves diversity, don't we? Imagine if there were no dogs or cats, no horses or whales, but only mosquitoes. They were the only animals that we'd have. How horrible that would be for us. We love food and delight in all different cuisines. But imagine if there was no laksa or hot pot, no steak or bacon, Wherever you travel, whichever country you go to, the only thing on the menu was Brussels sprouts. How horrible and sad life would be. We love movies enjoy the variety that Hollywood has to offer. But imagine if there were no action movies, no Marvel Universe, no Star Wars, only rom-coms. Oh my goodness, how horrible would the world be? You see, friends, God loves diversity. We do too. We love diversity too. But just as he loves diversity in the world and in the church, so must we love diversity in the world and in our church as well. So you might be the most charismatic or awkward person in the world. In Christ you belong. You might be a poor student or wealthy executive. In Christ you belong. You might be a two-year-old in nappies or a ninety-year-old in nappies again. In Christ, you belong. We don't get to choose our family, nor do we get to choose God's family. But in Christ, I belong. In Christ, you belong. And there are many others who belong to Christ, and some of them are like Lydia, who are wealthy and intelligent and need to hear the gospel. Some are like the slave girl who are spiritual but enslaved and they need to hear the gospel. Some are like the jailer, middle class men and women living the carefree life, but they also need to hear hear the gospel. You see, this passage reminds us that the gospel isn't just for some people but for all people. People who can be very different to each other yet equally saved by the grace of God. And aren't you glad that God is the one who opens hearts, that God's the one who chooses to save and not us? Because if it was left to us, if we had to choose who would be saved, then we'd end up with very similar churches of people like ourselves, with very little diversity, because we'd only want to save people who like the things we like, the music, the food, the activities. But God doesn't want that. God wants diversity. He loves diversity. He's saving all sorts of people for himself. And that can be challenging, can't it? Because when the church is filled with different kinds of people, like a rich Asian immigrant, a poor Greek slave girl, and a middle-class Roman jailer, there's going to be differences of opinion and preferences there's going to be cultural clashes and, and sensitivities. So how are they going to get along? How will a diverse group of people be able to stand united in the gospel? Well, I'm sure that that was one of the challenges for this small church in Philippi. For years later, the Apostle Paul remembers them and writes to them in the letter to the Philippians. And he reminds them, to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He then goes on with the doxology. Let me encourage you to read it in your own time, where he describes Jesus who gave up his place in heaven to take the form of a servant and to obey obey God even to the point of death. But God exalted him. So friends, let's continue to embrace our diversity. Let's continue to consider others above ourselves. Let's overflow with thankfulness to God for one another and grow together as God's chosen people. And let's share the gospel knowing that God will open hearts. Jesus will save And he will continue to save a diverse people for himself. Amen.